Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Hi, Farnoosh. Hello, Bola. <laughs> I am so, so excited to have you back on the podcast. It's been a while. I think you were on episode 32 where you talked about uh, a prior book you had written uh, on women earning more. And um, I'm just so excited to have you back. You inspire me in so many ways. And I couldn't be more excited to talk to you today and also share your brand new, amazing book. But before we dive in, for the folks who are listening who don't know who you are, please tell them who you are and what you do. Hello, Clever Girls. Welcome. I'm Farnoosh. I'm so honored to be here, Bola. I, I know you just went through this very generous intro and you say you admire me, but I really do admire you and everything you've built, the community, your books. I am Farnoosh Tarabi. I've been a personal finance journalist and author for 20 years. I've worked in many places. You knew me when, when I was just behind the scenes producer at New York One News. Fast forward to today, I have a podcast called So Money, which I've been doing for nine years. And I love what I do. I love helping people strategize around their finances to help them live richer, fuller lives. And I have a new book, which you mentioned. It's called A Healthy State of Panic. And it's really about the intersection of all the decisions we have to make while we're scared <laughs> and how to how to have a more emotionally intelligent relationship with your fears so that you can use this abundant resource that we all have to drive healthy, self-aligned decisions with money in your career and in your relationships. Yes, that is so great. And I think it's such an important topic, addressing fear, because a lot of times what happens is that fear keeps us stuck, right? It's yes, we don't take action. So like you mentioned, your book is called A Healthy State of Panic, Follow Your Fears to Build Wealth, Crush Your Career and Win at Life. So what inspired you to want to explore this concept of healthy panic yeah. <laughs> and well, fear? Was it like your upbringing, certain life experiences? Where did this idea to discuss this topic that we all know, but don't want to deal with? Where did it right. come from? <laughs> well, all of the above. You mentioned many important uh, co contributors to this book. I say this book is the culmination of my 40 plus years living life afraid. 
and somehow getting stuff done. You know, like I have a career, I have a family. I I feel good about the decisions I've made. I've worked through uncertainty. I've experienced failure and I've been scared. I'm scared right now. I mean, who's not scared? If you're not scared, your heart is not beating. Yes. And I wanted to kind of explore that in that sort of middle, middle, middle period, middle, middle area of like being afraid, but then still doing the thing. It's not that I dropped my fears or combated my fears. I'm not fearless. I say that on page one, I'm not a fearless person, but I think that I present as fearless because I do what may be objectively scary things. Like I own a business, I have children and life is scary. But I think what I have managed to do and what I talk about in the book and I offer to readers is how to have a healthy relationship with your fears so that you can arrive at that destination that maybe you were like, oh, I don't know, it's scary, but you still do it and you do it your way. You listen to what your fear is telling you about what you want to protect, what your goals are, and you use all of those that information to go and do the next best thing. I say also that in personal finance, fear is always there. It's like, I've had this podcast for nine years, so money. And I joke that while I, you've been on the show and many other amazing people, but there's all the, the third guest or the, the third voice on the podcast is fear. Because <laughs> whenever we're talking about our money, investing, real estate, should I buy? Should I rent? Should I, when can I retire? Will I have enough? A lot of the, the root of a lot of these questions is this emotion called fear. And yes, I was a terrified kid. I'm the daughter of immigrants. How can I not be that person who grew up anxious? And my parents purposely raised me to be afraid of, of many things that some I will also you know pass down to my kids, some I won't. But I have had an intimate relationship with fear since growing up. And also my profession is taboo. And with that comes also... And an interaction with fear on a daily basis. So this book is, you know, talking about money and other things. I wanted to write a book that wasn't just about money since I've written many books about money. I wanted to write a book that was about life too, because when we talk about money, we're talking about life. So for me personally, this book, I hope will be a bridge to be able to have other kinds of conversations that I'm already having. People coming on my show or it writing to me, they don't want to just get my opinion on their 401ks. They're asking me, deep-seated questions like, should I start the business? Should I start a family? Should I leave my boyfriend? You know, and I'm very grateful that they're coming to me thinking that I have answers, but we, you know, it's, it's not inconsequential. And you know this, when you're talking about money, you're really talking about so many other things. You become yeah. kind of an expert on life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, a lot of times when we are experiencing fears or other people are experiencing fears, whether we know it or not, we're projecting our fears on, on other people. It could be positively or negatively, like, you know, what our parents were afraid of as immigrants, right? It got projected on us. And then we have right. reformed these beliefs about what our fear has told us we are capable of doing or not capable of doing, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And it just ties into how we operate as human beings. So I, I think this is such an important topic because even with what you do, right, embracing your fear means that you have to be vulnerable in a way and yeah. put yourself out there. And that in itself... <laughs> is it it can be a lot and not only put yourself out there but put yourself first 
Yes. I always say when you are, when you are in touch with fear and all of your emotions, you are turning inward. You're learning about yourself. Fear doesn't just, to your point, arrive without a story. There's a story there. How you how you inherited this fear? Maybe it is because of the way that you were raised. Maybe it is an attachment from your parents' fears. But maybe also it's more recent. It's worth exploring and unpacking. And that's really what I wanted to offer to readers: is that rather than what if we live in a world where we don't have to fight our fears, which feels almost like an impossible task, you know, because I don't know about you, but anytime I've tried to fight an emotion or push it down, it only gets bigger. It never goes away. That's not how fear works. It doesn't just like listen to you when you shut the door. Like it wants a conversation. It has been an an evolutionary requirement biologically. Like you and I would not be here if it wasn't for fear. And of course the world's evolved and we've evolved, civilizations evolved and fear has evolved. So it doesn't just show up when you're having these sort of life or death moments, but when our livelihood is at stake, Mm -hmm. we don't want to be wrong about a financial decision. And so we get scared. We don't want to have regret on the other side of maybe quitting our jobs or starting a business. So we're scared. Well, good. You know, if you're not scared again, like maybe you're not really thinking critically and that's the gift of fear sometimes is that it encourages you to maybe get more educated, learn where the fear is coming from so that you can have a better understanding of its source and whether or not you want to continue to bring this fear into your life. Fear also can show us how to find connection in the world. It can, it pushes us to, like you said, get out of our comfort zone, put ourselves out there, but that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. We don't always or ever think of fear as this tool. And my book, A Healthy State of Panic, is really about giving fear a much-needed rebrand. It's had very bad PR for a long, 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 long time. And I don't think that's been, that's not a fair, it's not a fair assessment of fear. Yeah, essentially, don't be afraid of fear, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> so speaking about just how fear manifests in people's financial decisions, I'd love for you to share how you personally have been able to leverage the fears you have had and turn them into strengths as it relates to just achieving your financial goals, right? And I know in your book, you talk about just some of the common fears that hold people back. So you talk about the fear of rejection, the fear of loneliness, the fear of missing out. And directly or indirectly, these can manifest in the decisions you make around your money. So I wanted you to talk about that a little bit. Sure. Well, the fear of money is central to the book. It's not the first chapter. It is actually the sixth chapter out of nine. And some readers might be like, I'm so confused. She's a financial author. Why is she writing about fear 150 pages in? But The reason is, is because the fear of money is sometimes connected to some of the other fears that I talk about previous to the fear of money. So the fear of loneliness and FOMO and the fear of uncertainty, a lot of that dovetails with the fear of money. We're afraid of money because we're afraid that we'll make a decision that might make us miss out on other things. We're afraid of the uncertainty in the markets and that's tied to our finances. And so one of the first lessons I talk about in the fear of money. And by the way, the fear of money is an amalgamation. There's so many different fears, right? Like it's an exhaustive list. The fear of not having enough, the fear of never being able to get out of debt, the fear of wanting too much, wanting success, wanting to be rich. I can attest to that. That is something that I encountered 
at one point in my career, I felt as though I should just be happy with what I have. And if I want for more, that it's going to come at a cost that I'm not willing to afford. I thought it was going to mean rejection and loneliness because Mm -hmm. I thought as a woman to prioritize her financial ambitions, well, what will other people think of me? Yeah, It's kind of a silly thing to say out loud, but you know, we've all had these thoughts. I I would. Yeah. That's, I thought that too, that that's very common amongst women that thought. Yeah. And so when the fight, any sort, any flavor of financial fear arrives in your life, one healthy way to deconstruct it and have a conversation with it is to say, where did this fear come from? How did I come to believe this fear? And usually, again, it tells you a story about maybe how you were raised or the culture that you experienced or a past or present experience. And so really important to face that because I think when we can see the root of it, we might realize, oh, there is actually no foundation to this anymore. This was maybe a once upon a time truth, or honestly, it's based on a myth my feeling of my fear of not being able to be more successful and more financially ambitious was rooted in being raised as a woman in my culture, not seeing other women represent that. And also the media portraying women who are financially ambitious as evil, they have their values messed up. It's not a virtue. You know, we don't assign that to women and go, women should become financially powerful. That would be a great thing for society, even though it is. We just don't culturally embrace that. And so I didn't, I felt this friction around this, but I thought to myself, you know, what's worse? Allowing this fear to help to to keep me playing small so that I can win some some admiration or feel more connected to a, a culture, a society, or you know, 10 years from now, waking up and going, I did not live my potential. I I have continuously downplayed my ambitions. I mean, that's a scarier thing for me, arriving at a place where I'm just not where I thought I would be. And I don't even recognize myself and I've been rejecting myself. And so sometimes, you know, I guess the lesson there is twofold. One is understand the root of it so you can maybe figure out whether this is a fact or a fiction of a fear. And then if you choose to not take healthy action or do something different, or if you choose to sort of buy into the fear, well, what's the consequence? What is the risk of that? Short term, maybe you get some friends, you set, you, get, you get to play status quo, you get to like sort of fall under the radar, which is maybe what you want, but long term, maybe you miss out on a bigger life. And I was willing to risk the rejection today to be able to go do that. And so I think you have to sometimes weigh two fears in balance. We often are afraid of something in the present moment. I'm afraid, for example, with investing, people are terrified of investing. I'm afraid of the stock market having a crash and then all my money dropping 30% in the portfolio. I get it. It has happened. So that is rooted in truth. But what is scarier? If you don't, if you stay stuck because of this fear today, what is awaiting you in the wings? potentially a retirement with nothing. So you can't retire. That's more terrifying, I think, than the present day reality of a volatile stock market, which we know, or if you don't know, you should know that it is kind of the nature of the beast. 
Sometimes fear is also just telling you, go get more educated. A lot of times, actually. I mean, think about all the times you've been afraid of something. It's probably because you don't know enough about what, what it is you're about to do. So your mind fills in those blanks and it's not always rational. So when you are afraid of anything, money, you know, failure, a very healthy next move could just be to learn more about what's at stake. What are you about to embark on? And I mean, if it's investing, you might learn like, oh, I see that. And we know this because we are in this every day, but there are, while the market does have bad streaks and recessions happen, they're not every day. And actually there are more bull markets and more longer stretches of positive mm-hmm. market gains than there are negative and than there are bear markets. And so as humans, we tend to focus on the negative and that seems to be like all we remember and that's always how things are. No, 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 no. You know, it's like if someone gives you five A's and an F on your report card, you're going to remember the F and not the five A's. And that's just human nature. So you have to check yourself. You have to remember that we have these tendencies also to sort of obsess over and focus on what isn't working or what is negative. When in actuality, the truth is most times things work out. Yeah. And, you know, when you were just talking about the fear of money and your your initial perception of it as a woman, it had me thinking about personal experiences as well. You know, like, just how how other people's projections of their own fears almost limited me or I had to really weigh the yes. two fears. So for example, I remember coming out of um, college and starting my job, wanting to start a side hustle, wanting to go to grad school and just talking to aunties. Yes. <laughs> Let's just call it that. Mm-hmm. And you're like, but all these things you're doing, don't you want to get married? If you're too successful, you're not going to find a husband. And I was like, wait a minute, do I want to find a husband or do I want to be successful? And if I am, if I if I choose to find a husband, do I want to be married to someone who's going to limit me in terms of the potential I can achieve if I do go out to pursue success? And I was like, you know what, to hell with the husband. <laughs> yeah, I like me. That's what I came to realize yeah. too. When I remember... I was in graduate school at Columbia Journalism School and I got the I got the opportunity of a lifetime Bola. I got an unpaid internship <laughs> at, uh, at CNN, at CNN. So yeah, it yeah. wasn't uh, you know, it was a big deal. I was very proud. I was so excited. It was my spring semester and I turned to my then boyfriend in graduate school and classmate. I said, "Guess what? I got an internship." And he goes, "Wow." And he's not smiling. And then the next thing he says is, what am I going to do? <laughs> what? And I was like, I don't know. Update your LinkedIn profile. Seriously, kid. I But uh, in that moment, I became deflated because I was like, I can't be my financially and career ambitious self in this relationship. And mm-hmm. it really left a mark on me. And I would, as I would date, I would, first dates never became, I mean, he didn't, we didn't last, let's just say. And then as I'm starting to date more, yeah. I'm realizing that, you know, I, I, I feel this awkwardness around talking about my ambitions and how great my career is going. And I remember it was, a, it was finally an older man at work one day pulled me aside and he's like, keep striking out on these dates, Farnoosh. I'll tell you what your problem is. My problem. I'll tell you what your problem is. You're telling these guys too much too soon. You're, you're, you're just 
too much. You're too much. <laughs> and so I um, continued to play small until, you know what? I got really tired because bringing your fears onto a date is exhausting. And I realized two things. I realized, you know, one, I was inheriting the fears of these other men who are too afraid of embracing a woman who wants for things, wants for a full, rich life. And that's their fear. And I was somehow allowing that fear to take space in my life. And I realized, like you did, that I would much rather, I'm more afraid of this constant rejecting of myself to please others because what that is going to leave me is with, again, a, a life that is unactualized, a life that is not fulfilled fully. How That's more terrifying to me. So I said, you know what? To hell with it. I'm just going to have start having fun on these dates. I'm just going to start being myself and talking about all the things. And, you know, whatever. And two years later, I reconnected with a guy from college. Mm-hmm. And he had been following my career. At this point, I'm working public. I'm like on camera and all that. And he on AOL Instant Messenger because tell me you're a geriatric millennial without telling me you're a geriatric millennial. Right. And he types, he says, I'm very, I'm very impressed with all that you've done. Now, previously I would have maybe played down my accomplishments, but I replied back, thank you. Yeah. And we've been married for 11 years. So moral of the story, you know, you have to be able to really understand the two fears, like we talked about the balance of these two fears. Like, are you more afraid today of some rejection from others or the long-term rejection of yourself realizing you're waking up one day, you haven't even, you haven't become the person you wanted to be because you allowed fear to keep you down. And again, this book isn't about how fear is always great, but it can always teach us. It can always teach us what we need to do. And for me, it was that moment in my early 20s that gave me the courage to become to play out who I wanted to to be and and things did work out you yeah. can trust that you can be yourself if you're afraid of that maybe you're not with the right people yeah i love that and i think just based on what you've discussed that it's essentially you you have to um address certain fears in order to create room for certain opportunities or new experiences or new people. Um, Because if you don't address those fears, then you're not going to, you know, be able to achieve those things or meet those people or find those opportunities or find the right person for you to be with even. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and to be, to be in, you know, you, we have agency when we're kids and we're scared and we overreact. I mean, what do you expect of us? We don't have any resources. We uh, don't have life we have not lived life. But now as adults, we know some things. We've lived yeah. through some things. And when fear shows up, we can invite it in because it's our house. Yeah. We've built it. And if fear want if fear shows up, you know, we'll we'll bring it some tea. We'll have a conversation, but we'll also tell it to leave when we're ready to. Yeah. Because it's still our house. Yeah. My my one of my mentors who I've had on the podcast in the past, she she gave me a similar example. She's like, fear is always going to be with you, right? And you know, you, you're going on a journey of life. You have this bus, you're the driver, your fear is there, your confidence is there, your goals, everything about you is just sitting in the back of the bus. And sometimes fear just 
becomes that kid in the back of the bus who's bullying everybody, who just won't keep quiet. And you, as the driver of your bus, you have to put that bus in park and turn around and say, listen, hey, you back there. Shut yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, what's your story? Why are you being such a nag? Exactly. There what's might your be problem? Some wisdom there too. I mean, sometimes yes. that, that kid has a story worth listening to. And sometimes, you know, you decide from that story what you're going to do with the information. You mm-hmm. can drop them off at home or her. We're not, we don't need to genderize, <laughs> but although we know. <laughs> we know who the troublemakers are on the buses. But yeah, that's a great analogy. And then one thing that you said or you alluded to was just leveraging the questions you're asking yourself when you're we- when you're weighing your fear as I guess information to help diminish your fears, right? So for someone who is trying to let's say improve their financial situation, right? And they're okay, they've they've, they've challenged their fears, they've asked the questions, how can they take what they know now? to be actionable in changing their financial situation or their career situation or their relationship situation? How do I take fear to achieve my goals? You really want to break it down. And if let's say you're afraid of, I don't know, not to go back to the investing example, we've kind of exhausted that. Let's say asking for more money, let's say, because that's a big fear. Like I want to make more money. I want to improve my income streams but I'm afraid to raise prices. I'm afraid to ask for more. I'm afraid of the rejection. I'm afraid of the failure that might be not getting the money. I say that it's okay to be afraid because this is, again, something that we haven't practiced enough. So don't be, don't mistake this fear as a sign that you shouldn't do it. It's kind of a natural experience and adrenaline. And honestly, if you're not a little bit afraid when you're about to ask for more more money, you're probably not doing it right. I mean, because imagine you go in and you just ask for the most, like, you're like, I'm a cool as a cucumber. I'm going to ask for $10 because I know everybody's got 15. So 10 is definitely within range, but (laughs) you haven't really pushed the envelope. You haven't really reached your fullest potential here. And Remembering that, you know, when you're asking for more money, it's a conversation, it's a negotiation. So it's okay to come in a little bit higher than you even think because you might end up leveling out. But I think it's important to think about what if I allow this fear to keep me stuck? What is waiting for me on the other side? Visualize that. What is the lost potential? What is the stuff that, what is the trade off? Where, what are, what have you not accomplished that you really want to? Are you going to be in this same place next year? Well, how does that make you feel? I think we have to get almost to the dark side, as I say, with these fears so that, and visualizing we know is an incredibly powerful tool so that we are catalyzed to do something. And a lot of us don't know what that something should be. So I'm going to offer some exploring, educating, asking of questions, reaching out for help, making a plan, all of these things that we always say is a good thing to do, but we lack the motivation. Let fear be the motivation to do those things. A lot of people are worried about losing their jobs. And I say, don't live in the cloud of layoff, you know, one day, maybe a recession, maybe one day. No, let's think that this layoff is happening tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're taking this nebulous fear of a what if, and we're making it very specific to your life. What will that mean for you? Will you be able to pay your mortgage next month? Will, and so it would prompt you to go explore some things. 
How much do you have in your savings? What is your company's typical severance policy, which might be in their guidebook? You can probably email your HR person after this podcast and find out. And you can look at your state's unemployment insurance website to see what you could potentially earn there. And then start to put these puzzle pieces together now before something like that, scary like that, if if it ever happens, happens. So you to get use fear as a motivating tool to do the things that we always know we need to be doing with our money, but maybe we don't because I just I don't want to. But fear can get us to want to because we want nothing more. When there is financial pain in the brain. They've financial done studies. Pain in the brain. <laughs> financial pain in the brain. It's a t-shirt. Insane in the membrane. Financial pain in the brain. <laughs> it is a stimulant like nothing else to get to jumpstart you to protect yourself. And that's what fear ultimately is. It's a signal. It's your body signal saying, hey, maybe we should look out for a few things. Hey, maybe we should remember what our values are. We should remember what our goals are and how, what makes us feel secure, which is kind of an individual question for everybody. What makes you feel secure? What is enough? All of that. But, you know, fear is not going to write the plan. You have to do that, but let fear be the motivating tool, the catalyst to get you up off the seat and doing the things. Yeah, I love that. That's great advice. So let me ask you this, Farnoosh, because there's two fears that I, I really wanted you to elaborate on. So I guess my next question is, has the fear of failure ever held you back? And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. In any that, instance where you felt it, but it didn't, how did you overcome it? Because I'll be really honest, one of my biggest fears is the fear of failure, right? You know, And you hear it, fear of failure, but do it anyway. But sometimes... It's really hard to do it anyway. <laughs> right. Well, that's one of my longest chapters in the book. I had a lot of personal and other stories to share because uh, well, have you even lived life if you haven't experienced failure? It's kind yeah. of the point sometimes. There are many offerings. I think the fear of failure has many offerings. One is that when you experience the fear of failure, hmm, maybe it's because you are setting yourself up to fail you know it you know yeah. that this isn't the right environment this isn't this isn't the right way something is telling you something is off you're not working with the right people so listen to that fear it's a yeah. good fear it's telling you to reassess because you might be setting yourself up for failure now we can't control all the things and sometimes failure happens and it's not within our it's not our fault it's something we could have prevented necessarily but this book is not about how you live your life and everything works out. It's about winning at life, which means that you come to these cross, you, you cross the street and you get and you do the thing and maybe you do fail, but you feel like you did everything you could with the knowledge that you had and you did it your way. And that should feel good to you because sometimes failure, it's not the, it's not the end of the world. Like you can learn a lot from failure. I have always made it intentional that when things don't work out, what are the two to five things that I learned that I can take with me into the next experiment? It's a bit of, it requires a bit of a mindset shift. It's a dedication, right? That I'm going to do this thing. Things might not work out. I'm going to do my best, but there are certain things that even if this doesn't work out, I will still be a winner because I might have made certain connections. I might have 
you know, as I say, I started a side business in 2018 and I said it was like a fast track MBA. You know, I could have gone back to get an MBA and pay lots of money and gone into student loan debt, or I could have invested some of my own money in this actual business and learned it, you know, in real time, in real life. So I kind of have to convince myself sometimes of how how to turn failure into a win, even though maybe it didn't work out the way that I thought it would. Yeah. Um, so certainly I have experienced failure. And, you know, sometimes failure, when you fear the failure, it's asking you to redefine your success metrics. You're setting yourself for failure because, you, look, I wrote a book. And if my definition of success was exclusively to hit the New York Times bestseller list, of course, this book would be, this book is, this book is a failure. <laughs> this book not hit, recording. <laughs> that did not happen. But I also can't control that, really. I can obviously do what I can to promote it and share it and encourage people to buy it, but I can't decide who's going to make the New York Times list, which is an editorialized list. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of authors that that is where they put all of their success hopes and dreams. And nine times out of 10, you're going to fail at that. And it's nothing to say about you. It's just that is just the nature of that. Those are the odds. <laughs> Those are the actual odds. And so instead for me with this book, what can I control on the other side of it that can I can that can feel successful to me? And that is doing a lot of podcasts, sharing it with my community, putting together events and showing up and doing my part. And as long as I'm doing that and people are, you know, it, it's a long I have to also accept that a book is a long journey. It's not just, you know, out in one week and you just put your publisher might have moved on to another book, but you are committed. You stay committed and that is winning. So I think it's just being very clear from the get-go, you know, knowing, assuming, uh, and maybe preparing for the fact that this might not work out. Yeah. But part of you still wants to do it because there's so much to learn. There is still so much to gain. I don't regret doing that side business that didn't end up, you know, having um, a long, a long life. It kind of, we closed it actually this year, but I, I, I learned so much and I learned that I wouldn't do it the way that I did again, but it was, it was a growing pain for me, but a good one. And I, it became a great story for the book. <laughs> so yeah. I leveraged it. And that's life. That's life. Sometimes mm -hmm. failure is the point too. Did you ever yeah. think about that? Parents in the audience failing every day, failing, you're failing forward. That's it. I love that expression when you fail yeah, forward. And, yeah. Fail forward. And you know, failure is something that I have done a lot, <laughs> but I still find myself challenged by the fear of failure. But the two things that you said that really stood out to me and for everyone listening is you said, ask yourself, are you setting yourself up for failure? Like, Assess yeah. the situation, assess the decision, be honest with yourself. I love that because it really helps you gain perspective, right? You're afraid of it, but is it because you have put yourself here and what can you do differently to learn something, to adjust the way you fail because failure is inevitable. And then you also said to redefine your measure of success. And yeah, that yeah. is so important because a lot of times we define our measure of success based on what we see other people doing yes. or what standard has been set for the world, but you really have to look inward. Right. And say, yeah. what does what is what does that mean to me? What makes me happy? What will I be able to do and say, you know what, 
Bola, well done. You you try this. You may have failed, but guess what? This is how you wanted it to be. Exactly. And maybe you don't create just this one thing that you, this one outcome. What are the three to five things that if you hit 50% of them, that is success because that's life. You know, I think that what you're, the, the, the problem with the fear of failure sometimes, why we arrive with this fear, have this fear is because we are set on this perfectionist mindset. We have to, everything has to be perfect. Perfectionism and the fear of failure are like, very close cousins. And when you can address the perfectionism, I think you inevitably address your fear of failure. When you say to yourself, you know, I'm so focused on this very specific way that everything has to work out or else. Well, yeah, you're, you're it's not, that's not how life works. Lo- life loves to surprise us and throw us curveballs. So the more you can prepare for that, the better you're going to, the better results you'll have, the better you'll feel about what you're doing and the more you'll grow. Honestly, I had a friend in college who was afraid of failing in her career. So she just didn't take a job that didn't match all the sort of dream job criteria. So she went back home and slept in her twin bed when all of us were out there messing around in our twenties, not knowing what we were doing, but you know what? We were failing forward and she was so afraid of failure and not having sort of that dream job, perfect job that we, she thought that's the only way I'm going to elevate in my career. I need like a great first job to have a second great job and so on and so forth. Not realizing that that's not how life works, by the way, like you can get that first great job and they can lay you off. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's, you know, you, that's nice to think that you have all this control in your career destiny, but I think had she just been like, you know what, it's better to keep moving then to stay stay still stasis is failure uh-huh. movement even though maybe it's not in your perfect world job who by the way who has the perfect job after college nobody nobody <laughs> no one's giving <laughs> you a great like job because after- you have the I mean, name on your resume but really <laughs> nobody <laughs> we're all getting coffee for the same jerks okay that's the that's the like the reality that's in the, the first, first dry cleaning one so i was like what did you get my dry cleaning when you go to lunch I was like say again say that again oh my gosh one I know my job my my boss was like can you switch my Pilates class for today I was like I don't even know what Pilates is I was 20 years old it's like is that uh is that the new thing these days that people are doing to yeah so I that like as I said that chapter the fear of failure probably the longest chapter in the book because have you really lived life if you haven't experienced failure? And, you know, sometimes failure when it shows up or the fear of it is like, just remember what your resources are and leverage them. I remember being in college and I was working at the newspaper. I was on the sales team. So my job was to place advertisements for all the local businesses in our college newspaper. It was a really big college newspaper circulation, like 25,000 Penn State. So it was a really big job and the neighborhood businesses would pay us to put their ads in the paper. Well, one of these days I forgot to place one of my clients ads in the paper and it was an important ad because it was advertising a musical act that night at his bar. So he needed the ad to run so people would come and buy tickets. 
So I get this very, very angry phone call. I'm at the, oh my God, he's, and he's, he was a beast of a man. He was like a seven foot tall, giant, broad shoulders, like lineback. He was physically t- intimidating. And his voice was now hollering over the phone. I was like holding it, you know, five inches away from my ear. He's like, I can't believe this. And so I feared in that moment, not just the actual failure that had, that had already like, that is done failure, you know, but there's more failure for me. I thought, you know, because if I, I don't clean this up, if I don't fix this, this is bad for me. My boss isn't going to give me any more clients. You know, I just sort of created this like cyclone of, of failure, this vortex of doom. And so I said to myself, you know what? The ad did not run in the paper. I can't reverse that, but I will print out flyers. And I cleared, I skipped a few classes that afternoon and I enlisted some volunteers and we gave out flyers. We gave out about a thousand flyers to college students walking around campus, telling them about the band. And I actually ran into the band on campus. They had come early their, their car, you know, they, they had, they come to set up and they're like, Oh my God, we're so honored that you're doing. I was like, I didn't tell them (laughs) I forgot to place the ad. I was like, I just love y'all so much. I just wanted to really go the extra mile for you. So I got, yeah, I scored points with the band. The client was happy and, and it was my fear of continuous failure in that moment that pushed me to get really resourceful and figure out my next best move, which is an opportunity again, when that fear comes up, what can be my next best move? How can I course correct? How can I move on from this? What have I learned? How can I quickly move on? And and sometimes the mistake is that we experience the fear and we don't think that we're capable. Yeah. You know, we think that failure is saying something about our character, our ability is who we are when no, maybe it's just, you know, shit happens. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. And going back to what I said earlier, like there are just some fears you have to embrace to make room for new ideas, for new opportunities, like being able to meet the band, get the compliments, have them remember you, give out flyers, engage your students, fix the situation. Sometimes you just you just have to do that. So the the last fear I want to talk to you about was the fear of endings. I think it's kind of ties into the fear, like when something is ending, I think to me, the reason I am afraid of it is because of the uncertainty right? afterwards, right? Have you, how have you navigated this? Like, I know for a lot of people listening, this is actually a very common next to that fear of failure of like, you know, I'm leaving my job or I, I'm, I'm getting married. This is a happy situation, but my single life is ending, you know, I'm becoming a mom or I'm moving to a new country or I'm getting divorced. Like how do you navigate that fear of endings, whether it's, whether it's to a positive outcome or to a negative outcome? Right. The fear of endings is a really tough one because no one likes finality and more so we don't like things ending without our consent, without, mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing to leave a job and go into another one, knowing that you, know, you have closure, leaving a relationship, you have closure sometimes, sometimes not, but that's just part of what as humans, we really want. We want to feel like there was meaning there. And so we can move on to this next, this next journey, this next leg of our lives without regret. And I talk about regret in that chapter. There's actually a really great book called The Power of Regret by Daniel Pink. And he talks about how we have this culture of constantly saying like, I don't want to have regrets, no regrets. He goes, well, wait a minute. 
you know, regret can be an incredible teacher. Regret and just like an ending can be an incredible teacher to us. So when you're fearing it, I, I think that it's an opportunity to reflect on the experience that you had, the wins, the losses, and take from that what you want into your next step. And and it and when something ends, it doesn't mean that you can never grieve, that you can never revisit it. I think we need to give ourselves permission to know that endings are not final, that well, although maybe the job ended, the relationships that you created, the experiences that you encountered, you take that with you. Yeah. So to get it out of your head that like endings are this end all be, all, you know, end all experience, nothing, not all ends in an ending that maybe it's just the that experience, that job, that relationship, but you take so much with you. So I know for me, when I was working in television, television is such a, it's such a crazy and it's not for the faint of heart experience to be someone who is hoping to maybe get a television show and then you get it, which is really hard, but then you have to actually produce it. And then the network has to decide when it's going to air and it's going to put money behind the promotion and are the ratings. And there's so much out of your control as somebody who really wants to have this career in television. There, there are a lot of decision makers. There's a lot that can go wrong and you're just grateful that you got maybe the opportunity, but it just, it's just such an emotional roller coaster. And in 2016, I got the opportunity to have a show on CNBC that lasted one season. And as we were in the- One incredible whole, season. Listen, I was oh, watching that show. <laughs> it's called Follow the Leader. It was like yeah. a once in a lifetime opportunity. I wish it was a many times in a lifetime opportunity, but it was a once in a lifetime opportunity where I got to trail these billionaires and CEOs and intrepid entrepreneurs on- just their day to day. Like I would spend 24, 48 hours with them, fly on the wall and then share that wisdom and their kind of habits with our viewers. And it was really fun. And I, I like to think that it was just a really bad time slot. And, you know, had we been given another season, I mean, look, Seinfeld almost didn't get renewed. And I saw that very first episode of Seinfeld recently. It was awful, but I, you know, you know, someone at the network was like, there's potential here. And there was a lot of potential in follow the leader. Nevertheless, you know, that's just the business and they're, they're, they've moved on. And so they did not renew us. And I was really upset because part of what the fear was for me, the fear was like, will I ever reach the epitome of this in my career, like this pinnacle in my career ever again? Will I ever be given another opportunity to host a show? What will this say about me? Everyone's going to think that I was the reason it didn't continue. In reality, it's like, there's a hundred reasons why a show may not get greenlit for a second season. And so the fear was telling me that I wanted to fill a void. I wanted to feel like my life was moving forward. You know, the, this show for me felt like such forward momentum. And I said, what can I control right now that can give me that sense of momentum and something that I've always maybe wanted to do, but this show would have been a distraction to that? Like, what is an opportunity right now that I can seize thanks to the fact that this show has no longer gotten renewed? And it was to grow my family because newsflash, <clears throat> newsflash, when you're trying to build a business and 
not not just a business, but a, a television career that requires travel. It's really hard to have a, to have kids in that mix, like, and to be present as a parent. And so, now that my life was getting kind of quote unquote easier in that department, I was like, let's try to let's try for another kid. And nine mm-hmm. months later, our daughter was born. Which, if someone had told me, you can have another kid, if it means not doing this show, I would have said a hundred percent yes. And so I was just really happy that I went to that right away. I went to that opportunity right away. I just felt like, okay, this is it. Like the world is telling me that while this door is closing, another one is opening. If I'm willing to walk through it, if I'm willing to see this as the next best thing and more than the next best thing, like the only thing that really matters at this point. Yeah. You know, I, this is so interesting because you are explaining the fear of ending the fear you experienced during that period of time. But then I'm on the outside and I have a different perception of whatever fear you are feeling. Right. Cause to me, I'm like, Oh my God, look at Farnoosh. She has a show on CNBC. I don't care if it's one season, half a season. She gets <laughs> to fly with the founder of Paul Mitchell and Patron and sit with these guys. I remember your Mensa Graviel bag when you're climbing the steps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it's just so interesting that, you know, this was my perception and that was on the other side, your perception. Yeah. And sometimes what we think other people will think. Yeah, it's so it, not it, true. It's so not true. Elizabeth Gilbert did this incredible TED talk. I write about it in my book. Elizabeth Gilbert wrote Eat, Love, Pray or Eat, mm-hmm. Pray, Love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's this prolific writer and gorgeous writer. And she struggled with this concept of genius everyone call her a genius and when eat pray love came out she really struggled to figure out what is going to be my next thing like eat pray love is done that has ended although not really i mean it continues to be a cultural hit but that body of work for her was over and everybody wants to know as we all know in whatever whatever realm you're in like whether it's in you know as an artist or as an entrepreneur like you do something and it's like you're only as good as your last act, we, or at least we, that's what we think, that the next thing has to be bigger, better, more successful. Yeah. Otherwise, we're only failing. We're only going backwards, not forwards. We have to make more than last year. Otherwise, we're not moving forward. It's just this this cultural, I don't know if it's hustle culture or whatever it is, but it is something that creates a lot of friction in our professional lives. And for her, she was a lot, very much fearing failure as a result of this ending and will my next thing be as considered genius and her ted talk is really about how as a culture we have to really redefine or not even redefine but go back to the original definition of genius which is that it's not this thing that you are it is this thing that moves through you and it can sometimes hit you at the right time. And it sometimes cannot that it, that, that genius is sort of an energy and it's a force in life and it moves through people in time and places. And so don't put the pressure on yourself to think that you are the genius all the time. And, and suddenly you're having a writer's block or a creative block. And you're like, I can't believe this is happening. And you start to get really anxious that, um, you are just kind of the, that the genius moves through you and sometimes you're lucky and sometimes you're not. And that's it. And sometimes to your point, you just said, you know, 
with especially in the creative world, the audience, you cannot control their reaction to yeah. your work. You just can't. Like, don't you cannot manipulate an audience to love your work. The work is the work. It speaks for itself. As long as you're happy with it, that's what matters. If it's art, right? It's all up for interpretation, whether it's a television show or a book or actual art, like a sculpture or a painting. And so I, when I watch that, I, it just gave me a lot of important perspective. Mostly it just made me feel less pressure to feel like everything I do has to top the next. Everything that ends, the next beginning has to be even better. No, it doesn't. It just has to be meaningful to you. Yeah. So yeah. find the meaning. Yeah, I agree. And I think also give yourself the grace to be a human being. <laughs> yeah, right. And and not a not like this, you know, yeah. Um, what is it like this mortal genius, yes. immortal genius. Yeah. <laughs> so Furnish, this has been great. Thank you so much for sharing. I would love for you to, if there was for people who are listening, who are like, you know, I want to go pick up this book. What is the one or two takeaways you want them to get from creating their own healthy state of panic? Well, firstly, I want everyone to know that when you're afraid, which was probably 10 minutes ago, and it'll be 30 minutes later today, <laughs> that it is 100% normal. It is not a sign of weakness. It is not pointing toward to what you lack. It is an opportunity. Think of it next time fear shows up as like a moment, an opportunity to get real clear with yourself, to self-explore, revisit your goals, what it is that you want to protect and secure. The, like we don't do this enough. Life is very complex and there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of comparison culture. And as a result, we lose, it's very easy to lose your sense of personal direction. And so fear can be this opportunity to revisit the self as we are amidst a very scary world with a lot of decisions to make lean on your fears and also know that you're not alone. You'll read this book. You'll read about my fears, but so many other people's fears and how yet we still seem to put one foot in front of the other and get things done and let that be inspiration to you. Um, you know, I have two little kids and one of the things that's been coming up a lot on the book tour is what are the fears that I want my kids to have? And what is it that, about fear that I want them to understand as early on as possible? Because maybe that would have helped <laughs> me. <laughs> and that is that when you are afraid, sometimes your job is to ask for help. Yeah. That's, okay. we can all do that. It's hard sometimes because we, again, think that when we ask for help, it's a sign of weakness, but thinking of asking for help as your right and a way to get smarter about something, you know, and get the information that you need to go make the decision that you need to, to make that also we're all afraid. And, and so there's, there should be no shame in that. So look, it's a, it's a different book for a financial author, I suppose. But again, as I said earlier on, it's like fear is the fear and money go are two peas in a pod. It's also a very personal story. You'll learn about my upbringing as an Iranian immigrant. I want people to find themselves in this book, to see themselves represented and many people saying they are, and that it's just giving them the permission they didn't know they needed to honor their fears. Yeah. I love that. I love that. You have to update us on your clever girl superpower. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, fear, that was, obviously. That it's, was almost 300 episodes ago. <laughs> my clever girl superpower is my fear. Fear is my superpower. Yes. 
I love that. And then finally, Farnoosh, please tell everyone where you can pick up your new book, A Healthy State of Panic, and also how to keep in touch with you, see what you're doing. Uh, tell us all the good stuff. You can find the book at ahealthystateofpanic.com. I've got all the links to where you can purchase the book. I'm seeing it at airports. It's really exciting. Like fun fact, when you're an author and your book is in an airport, you, it's like you've made it. I feel like I've made it. But also I feel like everyone's panicking at the airport. Maybe that was really like the title is helping a lot in that department. It's getting picked up by some booksellers. You can also follow me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi and my podcast, So Money, which is three days a week. Awesome. And I'll be sure that we have these links in the show notes. Congrats again. And thank, thank you. you for your time coming to share your awesomeness with the Clever Girl audience. I appreciate you. Thank you, Bola. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you on the next episode.